Would you be seated and would you welcome Jeremiah as he comes? Uh, Jeremiah is leaving tonight after the service. He's driving a mere 790 miles or so before he stops. He's going home and spend the day tomorrow, has some things going on with his kids. And then he's leaving Friday morning for Wisconsin, so he don't let a lot of grass grow underneath him. Thank you, Jeremiah. We've enjoyed your ministry so much today. I was with Lindell and Kay Browning, missionaries uh, to Jerusalem, and they asked me who was here. And I told them, they said, oh, they've heard you. I don't know where they've heard you, but they also live in Indiana, and, and uh, they said uh, they know uh, of your, your ministry. And uh, all of us are grateful. We're grateful for these days, brother. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Well, it's been a tremendous week and thrilled to be here. Open your Bibles up if you'd be willing to the book of uh, Matthew. So, uh, yeah, um, one of the things that I've really um, wanted to, I really felt pressed by the Lord to, to do is, um, I, mean, I, love, I love to offer opportunities for life change and for services where we come and experience and I just don't like teaching anything we don't demonstrate. And so I like to have, you know, response times and times for people to embrace. Um, But a a bulk of what I I really feel led to do is to teach, is to come back to the scriptures and allow it to just, you know, define for us what does it mean to be a Christian? What does this book say? It paints a picture of what what a Christian looks like. And so um, given a lot of our time, I've been giving a lot of my time to teaching resources uh, for after after the revival's done, after the time after the special services are done, where people can get in and and kind of dig and study along with you and and make that. St- I mean, I make that stuff free, so um, not everything's free on the website. I'm gonna stick you for some things because <laughs> it costs me money. But uh, you know, a lot of what we do, especially with the videos and such, is is just free, and so. Um, uh, we do our little, uh, with our YouTube channel, we take our um, one hour long sermons and I, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them, try to break them down into 10, mi- ten minute segments um, and release those over a period of time. We call those segments the words behind the word. And um, that's where you can just study along with me and, and uh, you know, we're trying to put stuff in book form. So if you're interested in that, you can get to everything that we do from jeremiahbullock.com. And our notes from our studies, because a lot of people, you know, they walk out of the service and, you know, I had a lady tell me she went to work one day and they were like, you know, what did he preach on? And she was like, you know, I mean, so I don't want that. I want you to be able to say, oh, you know, and, da, 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 and be able to hand them something. And so uh, we got to be able to take that to the world. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that this evening. And we're going to look out of Matthew chapter 16. And this is a, a new study for me. And I want to talk to you about hearing the Lord. And if you've ever been tempted, and every one of us has been tempted, okay? If you've ever been tempted, that means you can hear the enemy. And if you can hear the enemy, you can hear the Holy Spirit. You were created to hear the Holy Spirit. And I read a book this summer. Uh, a Nazarene pastor came up, put it in my hands. And he said, this, this particular guy come from a different denomination. And he goes... But he's, it's, he said it's one of the best books he's ever read. And um, it was all about 
hearing the Lord. And he goes through, and um, that was when I started. I've lost, I mean, I'm still, I don't look like you yet, but, you know, I, um, I've lost a pant size, right? And so, one of the things he said in the book, he's like, one of the reasons we can't hear the Lord, it's not because he's not speaking, it's we've attuned our ears to the flesh. And he uses food, you know. A lot of times in the church, we really kind of frown on drug use and and as we should, right? Alcoholism, as we should, you know. Anything that's addictive, as we should. Come on, you know. But, you know, food, hey. You know, donuts, that's not the same as cigarettes, right? And, um, and he was like, you know, there's some people that just do not know how to tell their bodies no. And he, of course, he relates that to those of us here in the United States and in the West. It's a different part of the world. But... You know, one aspect was like he's, he goes, some people, they're so attuned to, the, to, the, to their appetites that they just, they have no problem hearing. It's like that, the flesh crowds out hearing the Spirit, which is where fasting comes from, those kinds of things. It's just a fantastic book. If you want to know what it is, it's called Spirit Life Training. Uh, and it's a pretty good book. Um, you know, I don't know the guy, don't, don't, but the book was good, you know, most of it. Um, it's always dangerous recommending a book to some, you know, but it's, it's a pretty good book. But it's really interesting because he was such a, he was so adamant about you were created to hear, you know, my sheep hear my voice. And so I, I really was at this time, and it was so divine appointed, um, I was studying this passage in Matthew, and I want to walk it with you, uh, walk you through it this evening, um, and it's on hearing. And so the passage begins in verse 13 of chapter 16, Jesus, um, it's a little hysterical to me. Jesus is getting away with his disciples. Let me say one more thing. I, I would beg you, um, I would really beg you if you're, if you're serious. I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if, if God's done some things in your life, you're wanting God to do some things in your life, get alone with him. Like flat out get alone with him. Cut some party. Get up a half hour early. You know, take just a little bit of time out of the Simpsons or whatever it is you watch. You know, and just, and I, I did that this last year. I cut out TV, right? And the temptation is to fill it with something else, you know. But um, just cut out and, and, and spend some time with him. Get in his word. Get to know. Make up Bible maps. One of the things I love doing is I've got an office that's just, I go bananas. It's like my wife owns the house. And so I built a shed out back. And... I did, and uh, it's like, you know, I guess 16 by 35, and uh, yeah, it's great, it's mine, you know, I never clean it, it's wonderful, dust everywhere, but like, yeah, I could do whatever I want with the walls, and uh, of course it's changed now, but I love Bible, like timelines, and one of the wonderful ways about studying the Bible is to put it in order, you know, go back and match the kings with the prophets. And, and look at the message and the history and put things in context. And, and it's just wonderful. Just go at it. Have a blast. You don't have any pressure on writing sermons, but just get to know and, you know, study, an, study the author, study the context, you know, just, but spend time with him and say, hey, speak to me. I want to know you. God, he, he, God favors those who hunger. Seriously, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you ain't hungry, 
I mean, he's just, he favors those who are hungry. So I just want to encourage you to do that. And if you want to hear him and you want to grow tighter with him, everything comes back to Christianity is about a person. I mean, he is a living and breathing person. You can walk with him and talk with him. And he's incredible. So Jesus um, is getting away with his disciples and he wants to talk to them about this subject. And um, it's a little funny, uh, the, the setting that he picks. It's the area of Caesarea Philippi. Um, and if you go and study this, this, this area where they're at, scholars suggest this, uh, and there's enough of them where I guess it's, it seems to be true. Um, but apparently, you know, he, he'll reference this, uh, the, the, um, the gates of Hades, okay, down in the verse we're going to look at in a minute. And, I, I, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little, I'm a little uh, unconvinced on some of this, but there's enough scholars that say it that, you know, apparently it's, it probably is true. I don't know if it's like definitively true. But this was certainly an area throughout history where pagan worship took place. Like graphic, sexual, um, like heathenistic pagan worship took place. Um, and, and then also child sacrifice. And I mean, it was a, just a pretty bad place. It had a, had a big hole in the ground that had some like underwater uh, water system. And they would sacrifice their children or animals and they'd throw them in there and pray to the gods and it'd been going on forever. And so Jesus is like, we're going to go on a, on a staff retreat. I know exactly where we're going to go. It's going to be great. Okay. And this is where he goes. So kind of like the, you know, it's a bad place. So Jesus goes to this area. In fact, it's so far north, I guess you could probably say it's above the people. It's above Israel. So they're probably not even in the country anymore. And um, when Jesus gets there, he he asks this really significant question. He says, who do the people say that I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? But, you know, who, who do the people say that I am? You know, what's going on out there? What's the word on the street? What are they talking about? And the disciples respond with all good things. They say, um, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others John or one of the prophets. I mean, that's wonderful. Okay, that's all good stuff. But we have a saying from where I'm at and the group that I run with, we're not into good things, we're into God things. You know? So um, we're not just into doing good things, we're into hearing from him. And, and um, I, uh, I had a, I don't know if I want to call it, I don't know what, it, what you want to call it, but I was in a service recently and I was during, it was during the altar call and I had this, I don't know what it was, but this picture came in my mind and it was the Lord coming up and he just put his arm around me and he said, how would you like to be a part of what I'm doing for the rest of your life? Not going out and doing random ministry or just doing random acts of kindness or doing just good things, but literally being a part of what he's doing. And I was like, I want that. I want that. There's a difference between good things and God things. Good ideas and God ideas. And so Jesus, and so all these things that, you know, when Jesus says, who do they, what are they saying about me? Oh, they're saying, great, you know, really great things, which is, I mean, those are great things, but they're all wrong. And in fact, he goes on and he says in verse 15, he says, but what do you say? You know, who do you say that I am? And Simon, this is a really critical part of Matthew's account, because before this, Simon is just Simon. Now, in the, in the gospel itself, he calls Simon is called Simon Peter, so that you'll know who he is, right? But 
at, you know, it was really just being probably called Simon. Peter was never even brought up until this point. And so this is a critical, crucial point in the identity of, of the Apostle Peter. This is a crucial, identif- kind of an identity crisis moment. And so they say, you know, Jesus, who do you, you know, all these things are being said, but what do you guys say? And Peter, Simon Peter, speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, his response is full of his enthusiasm. He's excited. And, and he just declares, you are blessed. And he gets really formal. I mean, I can't even find this language in his calling. He gets really formal with him. And he says, Simon, son of Jonah, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. You, in other words, he didn't get this from going down to Starbucks. He didn't be taking notes one night. Everybody else is asleep, kind of, you know, diagramming what Jesus is saying and, and you know, balancing the Greek with the Aramaic. And, you know, he wasn't doing all that. He was, he just, he heard. He'd heard from the Father. And he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, wow, you've heard from my dad. You've heard from the Father. This is what came from him. And what's so significant about this, this is pre-indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, You don't have to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit to hear. That's what conviction is. You just don't decide one day, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. That is not what happens. God is speaking. I, um, in fact, I think we might have talked about this tonight. I don't, everything runs together. But either, uh, did we talk about this tonight, about the Muslims and the, during, we were talking about that over dinner? We don't know either. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what we're talking about? Yeah. It was burritos and then everything got foggy after that. I don't know what happened. But, you know, you hear, you hear, uh, you know, I hear these stories of like Muslims and, you know, in other countries having, you know, they're, God's speaking to them in their dreams. And, and yeah, and I mean, people's like, oh, I don't know if I believe that. I do. I do. God was speaking to me throughout my life. There's been periods of times in my life where I know his hand intervened. And man, he was just, he was dealing with me and he was speaking to me. So God is, God is trying to get through to us. So we can hear. And so at this point, I mean, obviously Pentecost hasn't happened yet. Peter is, Simon's, you know, he's a handful, but he's heard. He has insight. And uh, he says, hey, you're the, you're, you're the Christ. And so Jesus says, you're blessed. And then he expounds on this. And this is where we're going to have to look at a little bit of context and language. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Let's just start with that. Okay, we'll get on to the gates of Hades will not overcome it. But he begins and he says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, right out of the gate, I, there is literally no scholar, even the, the not so good scholars. Okay, it's not like there's no scholar that says, well, that's not true. Okay, you have some Catholicism ideas that ran way long ago where Peter's the rock in which the church, and it's his line, and yeah. I think even now they're like, yeah, I think we're a little off on that one. So I, I don't know, I can't read any, I can't find anybody, I don't read anybody who say, you know, Peter is the rock on which the church is going to build on. It's not like Jesus looks at Peter and goes, oh wow, you know, you're the one. <laughs> okay. That's not what he's talking about. 
So how does this work out? What does he mean? I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. What's, it, what's he talking about? Well, the word Peter is in the masculine, and it's the Greek word Petros. Rock is in the feminine, and it's the word Petros is actually de- derived from the word rock, which is Petra. So rock, Petra, Peter, Petros. Good so far? Petros is derived from Petra. So when Jesus says, your, your name is changed, your identity is changed, that's expressed in the terminology that he uses, you're now Petros. And on this Petra, I'm going to build my church. So he's not saying, you're Petros, and on the Petros, I'm going to build my church. I'm talking about Peter. It's, I'm Petros, and something has happened that has changed Peter, and that's the Petra. We good so far? We're halfway there. That's, that's, that's the hardest part. So he says, hey, Peter, you're Petros. And on the Petra, which has influenced you and made you from Simon to Petros, I'm going to build my church on the Petra. Well, you're like, well, what, what's he talking about? And there's a lot of people that are going to say, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And they're saying, oh, it's, it's, the, it's, it's right there where they're standing. It's really hilly ground up there, a lot of rocks up there. And, and God's going to build his church right there. Well, no. There's still not a church there. Okay, so that's not like home base. That's not where you mail your checks and all that. That's not what he's talking about. You say, well, then what does he mean by rock? Well, what's the context? The context of the whole passage is he comes and he says, listen, who do the people say that I am? And, and of course, they, they miss it. And then Peter says, boy, you're the Christ. And Jesus, well, you've heard. You've heard from my father. And it's changed you. And on this rock... I'm going to build my church. So the rock that Jesus is talking about, what the church is going to be built upon, is going to be a a, a people that is going to be hearing from God. Because when you hear from him, it changes who you are. I've mentioned this. I've mentioned this. This is so, so significant. I mentioned this several times this week, that you have to have an encounter with him. This is not just cranial, teens especially. This is not just information gathering. This is, this is encounter. This is having a definite event where you and God come together and you're just never the same. Like he's real. He's a person. And I could pick it up. I pick, I pick it up like that. I'll be in conversation with people and they'll want to argue theology. And um, I was, this was years ago. I was in Indiana. This is a little bit long, but I'm, going, I'm doing well. I'm doing, we're, I'm doing really good tonight. So I'm in Indiana. This is hysterical. You want to hear this story? A couple, it's a couple minutes, but it's really good. Um, buddy of mine's pastoring in northern Indiana. So he calls me, wants me to come to revival. And I said, sure, man, I will. We schedule it. And I put it in the same area as uh, with the other churches because those are the days we're living in a bus. And so um, I'm preaching at Bluffton, and he comes down, uh, he and his wife, with this other guy and his wife. Pastor Tim Dilly was his name. And he, uh, he's pastoring the United Methodist Church in town, this massive church, you know, biggest in that area, a couple thousand people. And um, the deal was is that they, 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 they were in the same town in Aussie and Indiana, and they, were, they would meet together for prayer every week. And um, uh, Chad was his name, my buddy. He, he wanted, he wanted um, Tim to come to the services. Okay, that's the story. So, 
he comes down to Bluffton while I'm preaching at Bluffton, and it was this great service, and uh, Tim's wife had come down, and, and at the altar call, the wife went to the altar, and then she got up, and she came back, and, and uh, my wife prayed with her, and it was powerful, and, and after the service, I guess, you know, uh, Chad and his wife head back, and Tim and his wife are following, and Tim is just out, he's irate. He's like, I cannot believe you went down to the altar at a charismatic Nazarene church. Okay, because the United Methodists are like really, 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 really like straight laced, right? And it was, and she's like, um, she's like, well, I, it, was, it was good for me. And he's like, I just can't believe you do that. And she goes, I'm coming back tomorrow. He goes, Nick, no, you're not. And she's like, oh, yes, I am. And so, um, and all this is going on, and I didn't know about it. So they end up coming back. And, um, but he, he didn't come with them. And so, because he, would, would, he wouldn't give her a ride. So she got a ride with Chad and his wife. And to save face, you know, they didn't say anything. Keeping it behind closed doors, it's all hysterical. So they come to the services again. Well, he ends up driving separate, and he hides out in the lobby, and he's looking through the doors, you know. And I didn't pick up any of this, and all this drama's going on. That's all the backstory. So, and that week goes by, and his wife gets set free, and she's just, I mean, it was wonderful what's going on. So... They all go home, and so a month later, I show up at their church. And um, he, we had service Sunday morning. Sunday night, Tim comes to the service, and we preach. And he comes down to the altar, and um, he pops up when I come down to pray with him, and he literally runs out of the church. And I was like, that's weird, because they didn't have service on Sunday night. He had come. And so we meet on Monday morning for their normal time. Every Monday morning they met. And he shows up in this suit and tie, stack of theology books. And he sits down. I mean, I was going to the gym. That's back when I was, that's before I was fat. And uh, I was going to work out. And I'm, so I'm in my gym shorts and t-shirt. I'm sitting there at Starbucks with a Red Bull, you know, looking like me. And he comes in and sits down. And he wants to talk theology. That's what I'm getting at. Said all that to say this. So he wants to talk theology. And um, he said, I got some questions for you. And I said, well, hold on a second. And... I, I look back, I was being prompted by the Holy Spirit, but I didn't recognize it. And I said, hold on a second. I said, tell me, said, tell me about what's going on with you and Jesus. And he just starts crying. He's like, my marriage is in shambles. Kids are a mess. All of this, he's just pouring out his heart. And then I, I just, I lean forward and I just, I put my arm around him and I start praying. And I pray with him for a couple minutes, and I let go, and he grabs his books, pops up, and leaves. And I look at Chad, and he was like, don't worry about it. There's a whole, and I'm oblivious to everything. I'm oblivious most of the time anyway. So he came every night that week, sit in the back row, come forward, respond, cry, get up, run out of the service. And that week went goodbye, and I never saw him again. And six months down the road, he shows up at a church, and and in Wabash, Indiana, and they had a testimony time before the service. I'm in the front row, and this guy starts testifying, and I'm like, I know his voice. And he turn, I turn around, and it's him. And he drove up there to hear me, and he gave this testimony how after 25 years of ministry, he went to a charismatic Nazarene church and got saved. And he stood up and was making, I mean, he was, it was, it was different. He was different. And he was, you know, his whole life changed, his marriage. I mean, like, I keep in touch with him to today, and that's been years ago. He's on the verge of retirement now. But it was so beautiful to listen to the 
listen to someone articulate the difference between religion and a person. And so it's I probably could have embellished it and told you a little bit more, not embellished it, but told you more about the story, gave you some more content. But it's a beautiful story. But I'm just shocked and startled at the number of people that I know who grow up in church. They just they missed an encounter. You know, they don't they never like worshipped like sing to him you know they they give they they walk and talk with him they lean on him they prayer is not a formula it's talking with a person it's knowing who i am peter is transitioning into this so what jesus said is he says because this is huge because when you hear him you are different you cannot have hear me you cannot have an encounter with god and stay the same you just can't once you have an encounter with a supernatural, non-flesh human being, okay, non-human being, you're different. You're just different. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, dude, you are blessed. In fact, you don't see it, but you're, everything's changed. You're now Peter. You are now Peter. And you have, you're a direct, your identity is literally the Petros. Is, it, the connection was very clear for them. In, in, in the language, that your identity is a direct result of this rock of which I'm going to establish my church. My church is going to be established on hearing the Lord, on a group of people who are walking and listening and hearing. Now he adds to that. Does that make sense? So he adds to that, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And of course, the gates of Hades, that's your adversary, that's the enemy. Listen, the enemy cannot compete with what comes out of the throne room. I do not listen. I'm bombarded by noise all the time. I'm bombarded by all of these, you know, Facebook. That everybody on Facebook, they're so nice, sweet. Such an encouraging place. You know, I mean, it's, it would be easy to just, there's all kinds of things fighting for my identity. There's all kinds of things it's fighting for me to get my perspective of myself. But what comes out of the throne room is truth. And I, I mentioned this this week, but I'll say it again. I'll give you a little bit more. I said this, I, I did this study. Let me just give you just the flat thing. And we'll talk about it for a second. But when I was, I was going through some eschatology stuff in the last year, and uh, it was just a sight, it kind of stuck out in my mind. I never really put it together. But everybody in the kingdom, whether they're worshiping, whether they're coming back to fight, you know, uh, the reward for salvation are these white robes. Like everybody, we're all going to be wearing white robes, big bath robes. I, you know, it's going to be, <laughs> we're going to be wearing big bath robes. It's going to be great, you know. And I, I, I joked to my kid, I was like, my son, I was like, yeah, I'd rather have tactical wear. Maybe I'll white tactical, you know, something. But everybody's wearing white robes. And they're always spotless and without stain. And I begin, and the Lord really helped me and brought some revelation that in the Old Testament, you know, it was the blood of Jesus that, that see, the, the blood of the lamb could not remove the stain. The blood of Jesus removed the stain. So during an old covenant time frame, there were certain 
there was no sacrifice for rebellion. There was no sacrifice for inward, for inward change. See, in an old covenant time period, you had law, but you did not have inward change. So Jesus would teach and say, Old Testament, New Testament. He would say, you heard it said, but I say to you. So you, were, you heard it said, outward stuff. Don't kill people. Okay? Big fan. Don't murder people. But I say to you, don't even hate. So the new covenant is an inward transformation, not just the adherence to certain rules. Well, I'm a Christian. I go to church. So? I read my Bible. I pray. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. I don't lie. Okay? That's all fine. But what Now think about this. See, what makes... See, you are a new creation in Christ. And it's crazy. I meet people in church, they just don't really buy that. They live their whole life wrestling over the same stuff over and over and over and over and over. You realize that makes a weak, watered-down version of what Jesus accomplished. This is not biblical. You can be different. And most of the time that comes not from correct theology, but from experience of just never living different. Well, it's not, it's not, we can't put that on God. There's other factors involved. Maybe that's what we'll do tonight. I've wrestled all day with what the Lord wants to do tonight. Maybe that's what we'll do tonight. Set that over here. We'll come back to that. But during an old covenant time frame, the law was given not to produce righteousness, but to reveal sin. So if you, could be, if you could be considered righteous by observing the law, great. You just don't need Jesus. Okay, so the law wasn't given to produce righteousness. And you and I are not under the law. The law, the law was given to reveal that we need a Savior. Period. So Jesus came that we could be... He literally came and accomplished for us what we could accomplish. And to bring us into a, reconcile, a reconciliation, bring us into a relationship with God. That's what Jesus came to do. And to transform you so that what he looks like, you and I can look like. I know that's a lot, and I, hate to, I keep stacking stuff on, but that's the message. So in the old covenant, you could be forgiven, but when God looked at here's how I do it. Here's how I look at it. When you, you, you could be forgiven, but you still had the stain. So in the Old Testament, you could be forgiven, but you're the person who is forgiven. And forgiven's a great thing. Moses was the murderer who was forgiven. Okay? So when you're looking at someone in the Old Covenant time period, you could be forgiven, but you were still the guy who did that, who was forgiven of it. In the New Covenant hour, there's no stain. I mean, it literally means that you are, it's not just you're forgiven. It's not that, that you're forgiven, is you're completely, it's like you never did it. That's the idea of justification. I've been justified. My debt, my debt has been settled. I've been purified. I've been cleansed. So when you stand as a Christian before God, it's like you've never done it. You're new. That's truth. So you have to live with that perspective. The enemy doesn't live with that perspective. The enemy is the accuser. So the enemy comes to you and wants to judge you by the law. Because that's how he operates. He doesn't see the truth. There's no truth in him. He doesn't operate like that. So that's really significant. So I get my identity from how he sees me. I listen from the throne room. 
I believe what he says about me and not what you say about me. I believe what he says about me, not what I say about myself, not what I feel about myself. I don't listen to my, I have emotions, I just don't listen to them. I believe what he says about me, not what I did in my past. So when the enemy comes and reminds you of your past, are you hearing? If, if he comes and reminds you of your past, gee, he's operating illegally because he's, he's trying to attach to you something that now belongs to Jesus. Does that make sense? So your past, Jesus gave you his past, and he took your past and nailed it to a cross. It's no longer yours. So if the enemy tries to come and talk about your past, just tell him, go talk to Jesus. He'll run. Because it doesn't belong to you. You don't even have, you don't have access to your past. That's truth. There's a difference between truth and information. I live by the truth. And what's truth? I am the way, the truth. Truth is a person. So I live out of the perspective of Jesus himself. That's the truth. It's not facts and information. I live according to the truth. Period. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to live through his perspective. So it's not even, I don't even live right and wrong and morals. That's why routine, there's a difference between good things and God things. Peter goes out on a boat with a bunch of disciples. Jesus says, get out of the boat and walk. That doesn't line up factually. Truth-wise, it happened. Now, Peter went out there three years later. This is not in the scriptures. But he goes out there three years later with his grandkids. and goes, watch this. Almost drowned that day. Because it's not, and we do that. We try to sanctify methods. If we could get the right song and the right worship team and the right structure and the right day and the right. That's just not his language. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's, that's the deal. Does that make sense? So he looks at, seriously, does that make sense? Or do this. I'll just keep going. They're like, he'll just keep going. So Jesus is talking with Peter, and, and he's told Peter, man, everything's going to change for you. Why? Because you've heard from the throne room, and I'm building my church. My church is going to be built on those who listen and hear from the throne room. Because the enemy cannot compete with what comes out of the throne room. Because his truth exposes the lie. tempted to say one more thing. Tempt is not the right word. Um, I meet people who they get, they're transformed. But they've lived in lies so long, that's what has to be undone. Remember I told you this week about the, about the growth in grace, entire sanctification, uh, or initial sanctification, entire sanctification, growth in grace. The growth in growth, that's what the growth in grace is. The growth in grace is I'm a brand new creation, but I I'm going to spend the rest of my life working out what that looks like. I've had this encounter of Jesus, and I know what he says about me, and I say, really? And he says, yes. The moment you're saved, wham. Seriously, he cleanses you as white as snow. I don't feel as white as snow. Oh, that's your problem. I was praying with this guy. I think I shared this the other night back in the room, but I was praying with this guy one time, and um, he was, he'd been through some really rough times, and he had just shut down all emotion. He told me he didn't, he didn't remember the last time he cried. 
you know, he just shut down all emotion. Well, he got radically, God, God man, dealt with him, and man, it was awesome. And he's like, I just don't feel anything. I feel numb. I was like, that's because you've been shutting down emotion your whole life to deaden the pain. That's where, like, alcoholism comes from. That's where overeating comes from. That's where all that sin stuff comes from. It's coping mechanisms. So you get transformed, but now you're going to have to learn, okay, I don't need to do that anymore. You have to learn how to feel again. And it can be opposite for some people. They're like an emotional, like, wreck. And they're going to learn to live out of the Holy Spirit, not out of emotion. That makes sense, right? So what happens is we have these crisis points where we encounter God, we're brand new, we're, and, but we're still living in the patterns the way we've always lived, in the lies. Well, I don't want to live like that. I want to live out of the Holy Spirit. I want to live out of... So I had to learn not to live through my fists. You know? Beating that guy is going to make me feel better, but it's not going to change him. You don't struggle with that? You don't have old people driving in the fast lane 10 mile an hour under the speed limit? Yeah. You're blessed. Praise the Lord, man. It's rough. I'm about to deal with that all night tonight. Let's look at the last part. So it comes in verse 19. And this is my favorite part. And he says, and I will give you, because Peter is an illustration of what the church is going to look like. The church is founded on the Petra, and, it, and when you're founded on the Petra and you're hearing from the throne room, makes you Petra, Petros. So when you hear from God, you're changed. When you hear from God, you're changed. That's why I love healings. I, I, I'm becoming more and more an advocate, staunch advocate of people who have encounters, physical encounters. You know, I don't, you know, the blind man, I don't know. You might be right, you might not. Here's what I do know. Couldn't see, I can now see. I'm not sure what that means, but I know I didn't make this up. And that's how I got saved in 1995. I come from a really religious area, wasn't interested. Because that brand of religion didn't make sense to me. It was all filled with just, it was nonsense. But I had an encounter with Jesus, and I thought, well, maybe I'll take another look. Because I don't, know, I don't know about all this, but I'm telling you, I had an encounter with him. I had an encounter with him. It wasn't make-believe, make and it was different, and I felt different. That's, that's, that's the deal. Now, out of that encounter and out of that identity change, because what we've been looking at specifically Sunday that is who you are. It may not be what you feel like, but that is who you are. You are a child of the Most High God. And when the enemy comes to you and lies to you, look back and say, dude, do you know who I am? I'm the man. <laughs> Seriously, I know who I am. And you don't have permission to talk to me. I believe what he says about me, even over what I say about me. That's huge. And Jesus says, I will give, those, those kinds of people, Peter's the first one here, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys are always, it's one of the imagery pieces in the New Testament that's always consistent. Keys are, have to do with authority. I'm going to give you authority. And what are you going to have authority? 
whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you bind, uh, loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this is going to need to be explained again. Because in our English translations, it sounds like, Peter, I'm giving you authority. You're hearing from the Lord. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. So just go start binding stuff. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You're in charge, Peter. You're the one. And whatever you go and do, I promise to honor that. That is not what that passage is saying. Okay? So let's look at this. Let's look at them each, each um, well, let's look at them similarly. He begins, and I don't know what your passage looks like in your Bible if you're looking at it, but in every Bible I've seen, whatever you bind on earth, it says will be, and there's a letter after that in your translation. Do you see that? Now mine is digital, so I can click on it, and it says have been. So the correct translation is whatever you bind on earth will have been. Now if you go down and it says and whatever you loose on earth will be, there's a letter there. So whatever you loose on earth will have been. You guys have that in your translation? Okay. And I don't know why the translations, they don't, just don't fix this. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed. It's not nice to steal babies, Pastor. We're stealing. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> He's such a good pastor. Don't let him go. So he tells Peter, whatever you bind on earth, this is so crucial. I'm absolutely convinced if you knew who you were, your town would be different. As great as he is, biblically I can prove to you it's not his responsibility to win the town, it's yours. Seriously. A pastor, Ephesians chapter 4, is an equipper that equips the body for works of service. I've met people that are like, well, we can need a new pastor. We're not growing. Well, it ain't the pastor's fault. They should fire all of you. Seriously. It, 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 come on, it ain't my neighbor. If you don't care your neighbor's dying and going to hell, why would I care? I can't get in math class, thank God. That's, that's their job. So, you, if you only knew who you were, you, like... You are a missionary. The, the greatest missionaries in our church today are the, in my opinion, and there's a lot of great ones, but it's, it's, the, it's the elementary, middle school, and high school teacher. Frontline stuff, man. It's frontline ministry stuff. To create an op, God creates opportunities there where you can see people, pray for people, and impact people period. So this passage is it's an identity thing. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Well, what does that mean? Well, the, the verb there, which in NIV and some others is translated be, just be, it's actually will have been, and it's actually two different Greek verbs. Ready for a little grammar? Okay. Hold your excitement. Will have been is two Greek verbs put together. It's a future indicative, and then it's a perfect tense verb. So it's a future tense and a perfect tense. 
both verbs acting together to express will have been. And you're like, okay, what, what does that mean? Well, a future tense is, is a verb tense that describes the action as being future. Tonight, I will drive home. It's future. Okay, future tense. I'm not sure we have stuff like that in English, actually, primarily, but that's what we mean by the future. So I'm going, something I'm going to do. It's in the future tense. I'm going to drive home tonight. Okay. Now, the perfect tense is one of my favorite in, in the New Testament. The perfect tense is a completed past action, something that's in the past that's happened, comes for a little while, stops. So it's completed past action that influences the present. That's what the perfect tense is. So a perfect example of that is in 1995, I had an encounter with Jesus. It was a, a moment in time that had a beginning and an end. It was an encounter. It was a moment. It was a crisis point, And I've never gotten over it. I met my wife in 1995. Never got over it. Met my mother-in-law in 1995. Never gotten over it. Okay? So these are past, these are past crisis points that affect my present. Now get this, in, this, in the sentence, he gives not only a perfect, but he gives a future. So it's not just something that happened in the past that affects my present, but it's also going to affect my future. So he takes two different verbs to communicate what he's trying to say. So it's literally from your past, a crisis point, all the way to the future. So whatever you bind, and the idea of bind means to put a stop to. It's binded. It's an authoritative it's, uh, no, no. Whatever you bind will have already been bound. In the past, a decision was made that affects the present, and it'll affect for ongoing. So Jesus says, Peter, you're going to live a lifestyle of hearing from the throne room. And from time to time, you're going to bind things. And whatever you bind, it will have already been bound in heaven. That decision will have already been made. And it's going to affect your present because you're, you're listening. And it's going to come to you, and you're going to bind it, and it's going to change for the future. So whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. What he's really saying is, Peter, you're going to be living. You're going to be walking and listening and hearing from the throne room. And whatever you do has already been decided upon. God has already made the decision. And he's letting you know, and you release it, and it changes the future. You don't look convinced that was so hard. So the idea is, is that you and I can hear and you are called. These are commands, by the way. You're called to bind and loose. You're like, what does it mean to bind? Well, you're going to hear people that are going to say things about themselves that are not true. And when I say it, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't, I, don't come, I don't come into agreement with that. I don't agree with that. It's a lie. I was praying with a girl the other night. She's like, I, I can never be saved. Lie. No, you don't understand. Lie. I bind that lie in the name of Jesus. Because well, it's not true. It's a lie. I'm dirty. I'm ugly. I'm never going to be different. Lie. Yeah, I can bind that. Why? Because I have authority to. Because it's not true. Go, go, hey, go cry to someone else. I'm, that's not going to be tolerated in my present. You're worth more. And I not only bind it, but I release you from it. What we don't understand and why we've been talking about this week with all the spiritual stuff is most people are under spiritual oppression. Lies of the enemy. All the enemy wants to do is come and speak a lie to you and get you to believe that it's true. 
That's all he wants to do. That's what, that's what bondage is. The enemy has no power and authority over you. The only place the enemy, literally when Jesus took authority over and conquered the enemy, the enemy has no more place to rule. Like we hear if the world says, oh yeah, Satan, you know, he's in hell. and He's got a, no he doesn't. Hell's a place of punishment. He doesn't rule there. Like there's no spiritual, there's no spiritual like land of Mordor. And if you hadn't read Lord of the Rings, you, you got to get your act together. But there's no land of Mordor out there in the spiritual realm where he rules and that's it. He has no kingdom. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, go. You have no opposition. That's why Satan is called the spirit of the air in the New Testament. Why? Because he has no throne. He has no place to rule. Satan only rules in the lives of those who let him. This is absolute truth. Where does Satan rule? He rules in the lives of those that let him stay there through lies. He's, he's a big liar. He has zero authority. Jesus made a public, 1 Corinthians, Jesus made a public spectacle of that dude. So the enemy is going to come to you and he's going to speak lies to you. And it's easy to identify his voice. It always comes with fear. Always. Fear and condemnation and shame. If, that's, if you ever hear that, it's not of God. Satan is the accuser. He's the slanderer. So if you ever, ever hear a voice of any, of any voice, it's, it's, not, it's probably not even yours. That's why Paul says, take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bind it. You don't have permission. I don't buy that. And I'll be honest with you, there are times where I don't know if it's just the way I've always thought. I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's the enemy. I don't know if it's my neighbor. I don't know who it is. I just know it's not him. I used to have this, we used to have this issue. My wife, between my wife and I, we were first married within the first three or four years before she got straightened out. No, before God straightened both of us out. But I realized later on, looking back, it was spiritual drama, spiritual attack. My wife would say, hey, I want you to be home. If you could, please, I'd go out in the afternoon. We changed our timing and stuff as we traveled. We lived on the road. But she'd say, hey, uh, if you wouldn't mind me back by 2 o'clock, I need to run out in town. I'd say, okay. So I'd be on my way home, and I'd look, and I could see the bus up the road a quarter of a mile away, and I could see that it was 2 o'clock. And I was like, I made it. And it was like, actually, it's going to be 2.01 by the time you get there. So you're going to be late. And I'm like, I'm not going to be late. That's, I mean, it's 2 o'clock. It's actually 2.01. Well, you know what she's going to say. She's not going to say that. Yeah, she would probably say this. She better not say that. Because if she says that, I'll say this. Well, if you say this, she'll say that. Oh, 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 oh. she better not say that. And then I get out of the car and I go in. And it's so funny. The same thing that happened to her. That's spiritual drama. That's spiritual. And when those thoughts come into my mind, I, I bind them. And I not only bind them, but I, 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 you don't have permission to operate, not just with me, you don't have permission to operate in this relationship. 
Yeah, why? Because I take authority. This is my relationship. You don't have permission to operate. And you can pray with authority like that. Give you, this is a true story. Uh, this is so cool. So this was, this is true, no embellishment. Uh, this was about a year and a half ago. Um, and I run into people who at Facebook, I started running into people who were receiving messages from me on Facebook. And they're like, um, you know, I got a really weird message from you on Facebook. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah. And they let me read it. It started off with, dear beloved, may God shine forth his grace upon thee. I've got this, you know, and it was, I was trying to sell him something. I'm like, that's not me. And he's like, look, it's Jeremiah Bullock Ministries. But it was like Jeremiah Bullock dot ministries. And it was a fake. You ever get those fake accounts on people, your friends want to be your friend. They've got like four followers. And it's not them. And you report them and all that. Okay. And so, um, yeah, they made a copy of my Facebook and I didn't know if they were contacting churches and saying, hey, I got this new, this new stuff that I, I'm going to sell it to you. And, and they were like, it didn't sound like Jeremiah. And so I got on, my, you got on Facebook and I looked and found it and reported it. And it was happening. Dude, it was like a war. It was terrible. And um, I was praying about it one day. And the Lord, I just, it was so clear to me. He's like, why are you tolerating that? I was like, what do you mean? You're supposed to be the strong tower. Hello? You know, protect me. He's like, don't tolerate it. Bind that. I was like, I can bind that? Uh, yeah. So I was like, I, I bind that. Yeah. Satan, you can't have my Facebook. Seriously, in the name of Jesus. I'm not living in sin. There's no nefarious purpose. I'm not using it to make money. I don't solicit it's for the glory. It's the only reason I have it because I don't like Facebook. It's a platform of ministry and you're not allowed to have it in the name of Jesus. Stop. I've not had one since. <laughs> Dude, it's hysterical. People say, seriously? Don't seriously. If you only knew who you were. See, I do. I um, Apple has two departments. We'll just use Apple. Apple has two departments. They have the quality control. Probably not exactly true, but they have the quality control. Everything they sell is going to have a quality, and they're going to control that quality. Okay? In Christianity, that's the pulpit. That's the truth. We declare this is the truth. Then there's the product development department. And that's where, like, you know, limbs get blown off, you know, Phones melt down, right? People come up missing. It's that kind of how does this work department. I live in this department. I think most of us live here. And you have to have this. But what does this look like down at my job? And I experiment. People say, are you that name it, claim it? I'm trying it. Why? Because I don't know. How does this, how does this work? How does binding and loosening work? I don't know. We were talking about that tonight over, and I forget their names. We've eaten at their house. But just Jeff, one's a, one of them. That's his kid. And seriously, we were talking about this tonight. And like, I, we, we prayed for people and they get healed. And we prayed for people and they don't get healed. How's that work? I don't know. I don't know. I'll let you know. Ain't going to stop me from praying for people. But I don't know how that works. There's all kinds of things that don't know how it works. But I tell you, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been 
I've been experimenting. I've been finding myself when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm thinking, okay, did I just wake up? And then I pause. Then I get up, because I'm old, and old people do that. And then I go back by my kid's bedroom, and I pray over my kids. Why? Because they're my kids. And this is my house. And Satan, you do not have permission to be here. In the name of Jesus, be gone. Why? Because this belongs to Jesus. You don't have permission over my kids. Because the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. What if you lived like that? What if you recognized that literally you carry, you carry like you, you possess what you're... See, what we, a lot of times we want to throw that on God. God, I pray you just reach him. You are supposed to reach him. You carry him. I told you this earlier. Jesus sends out the 12 and then the 72. And he says, go into a house. Let my peace rest on that house. If they don't receive it, receive it. Let my peace return to you. Like they carry it? Yes, I think you do. So I just, let, I just love people. I, just, I carry, I have, I have authority. I have phenomenal authority. Why? Because I'm a son of the most high God. That's who I am. And wherever I go and wherever my feet step, I'm a threat to the opposite kingdom. And I do. I, we find ourselves praying. Like at home, I, took, I, I own Walmart. Dude, I'm serious. I own spiritually, we own Walmart. So when I go in, I pick up trash. I go by and shake all the hands of the ploys. Hey, I'm your pastor now, just so you know. If you need any prayer. Honestly, I do. Home Depot. Everybody knows my name at Home Depot. What's your name? Just call me Pastor. And it is. It's speaking to that. They walk in. They're like, hey, Pastor. What's up? And I go through and I talk to everybody. Shake their hand. How's your day today? Do it all the time. Krenda hates to go because we get stuck in there. But what if you did that? What if you just walked into your gas station and said, you know what? Because what happens in our town is people say, you know, we're not going to go to Starbucks. Don't leave the enemy any quarter. Seriously, no quarter. Everything in our town belongs to the king. Everything. And so I make it a purpose of wherever I go, I step in and say, I take spiritual responsibility of this gas station. When you need someone in the name of Jesus, I write it down and every night I pray. I pray for the employees. I pray for the owner. I pray over the, the prosperity of it. I pray over just the safety of the workers that work there. And whenever you need to wake someone up in the middle of the night, I'm your guy. What if you live like that and authentically followed through with that? I'm a minister. Where's your church? Gas station. Yeah, I'm taking over that dude. I think that's what he's talking about. And I think our towns aren't influenced is because we just show up to church on Sunday. I don't think we know who we are. Maybe we could have some... Could you... Uh, you know what the word activation means? I love activation. It's, it's, 
whether you know it or not, that word may scare you, but that's what, that's what altar calls are. I've had people tell me, when do you actually get saved? When you make it to the altar, decision, I always say the moments the cheeks leave the seat. I got that from a church in Pennsylvania. But the moment you respond, I believe you're in. It's activating it. It's, I receive it. So I say yes. I step out in faith. I want to be different. So well, maybe we could pray tonight. I got a long drive. You got to go home. But maybe God's putting, let's, let's pray first. Father, I give you the responsibility of this service. We are your kids. And I just want to start off by saying, I absolutely love declaring your word. It is the truth of who we are. And I always get pictures in my head of people just running in circles and celebrating and going home and, and researching it out and, and highlighting that passage and writing it on a t-shirt and getting it printed. It's like we're learning about who we are and it's the truth. And I believe it in the name of Jesus. You're going to take your word and you're going to write it on the fleshly tablets of my heart. That's the new day. I know who I am. I am more than an overcomer. I'm a juggernaut in the name of Jesus to the enemy. He has no answer for me. Just like, Father, he had no answer for Jesus, your son. He has no answer for me. I'm an anomaly. He's absolutely terrified. When we stand up and resist him and knowing who we are, he flees with his life. I embrace that. I believe that. I announce that. I proclaim that in the name of Jesus. I declare it with my mouth. That my prayers matter. They actually influence. That I have power and authority. And so, Father, I'm learning to hear you. I'm learning to be praying with someone and listening. And you hear areas where they're in bondage. You hear areas where they're just, they need to be encouraged. In the name of Jesus, we can all hear you. Teach us to listen. Because we carry the answer. So, Father, I pray you would just speak tonight in the name of Jesus. I ask, Father, you'd speak tonight and you begin to reveal to us in this room our callings. This is so neat. I, did, I, I didn't see this coming, Lord. There's a great majority of us tonight that are being called to the ministry tonight. I do. I receive in the name of Jesus my calling to the ministry. And it's not always about standing up in front of a church and preaching. It's about loving those in a particular area and context of my life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. He's talking to you tonight. I haven't given you much opportunity to come forward and pray. 
But I'm telling you, Grandma and Grandpa, until you, until you die, you're a minister. And where you war is not in the flesh, it's in the spirit. And your, par- your, your, your prayers matter. Because you're, you're a son, you're a daughter. You can make a difference. The prayer, I mean, if you could just believe that. I know we read it and we believe that, you know, what it's written is true. But if we could believe it's true, that I can walk boldly in the throne room and that my prayers are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. My prayers are powerful. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than an overcomer. That what I say matters. I'm under the impression, Father, that it's your will and desire in our heart that we release into our physical world through our lips. You've given us that great pleasure of partnering that way. So maybe he's speaking to some of you tonight, and I I, I do, I feel like there's some here, perhaps, uh, maybe a few that you just, you've really struggled with believing this week with what the Lord was talking to you about. And you can go on and rinse, repeat, and live the way you've been doing it. Doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want to do. I don't care. But if he's speaking to you tonight and you want to be different, would you come and come and pray? Maybe God's calling you to ministry in, in the area. Unlikely ministry. Aisle six down at the Wind Dixie. Maybe you want to come. Maybe you want to pray. Let's spend some time in prayer tonight before we before we close. Teenagers, we, we, need, we need a voice in your generation. So enough talk. Let's, let's have some time in prayer, and in a few minutes, I'm going to close us. If you want someone to pray with you, we could do that as well. But let's, let's pray tonight together, shall we? And then in a few minutes... We'll, we'll, we'll close. It is, it is uh, one of the great struggles that I have, the monotony and the routine of life. My love for you, my avoidance of sin, that doesn't, that's consistent. I'm under the impression, Father, that churches are filled with wonderful people who love you, who are the real thing, but we become inactive Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I mean, we're, we're dedicated, we tithe, we believe in the body. We pray every day in our home. All those kinds of things. We read our Bible. We're here every time the church doors are open. We pause and say hi to fellow church members when we see them. But Father, what if Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday was the mission field that we live in every day? See, what if I have to drive home overnight tonight because I got to drop in and check on my kids at Walmart? I got to drop in and check out in my parishioners there at Home Depot. I just want to make my presence known. Hey, how you doing? Sorry I've been gone for a week. Father, could we be active participants in ministry? So I pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus over this body of believers that you would do to them what you've done to me, that you would give them fruit. Show them fruit of their labor as they begin to do it. Do it quickly, Lord. 
I pray that you would do it quickly, that you would give them fruit, visible fruit, to confirm for the long haul. It's one thing to pray and pray and pray, do it for a few weeks, don't see anything dwindle away. But when we begin to see fruit, that hour going and walking up and down the aisles and praying over employees and praying over the establishment, that we are actually warring and making a difference in the heavenly realms. What if we could change the culture and the environment? Father, I've driven into cities and there's just a po- there's just poverty and oppression and violence in the atmosphere. Uh, that ain't happening in my town. Satan, you don't have free realm here. I'm not on vacation. You don't have permission to operate. And Father, here in Mifflinburg, this group lives here. They've been planted here. They have permission to reside here. They have, they have the authority because they've been planted here to war here. I'm just a passerby. But I do, Lord. I just, can I do that? Can I just commission them, Lord? Can I give them permission? Can I encourage them? Can I send them forth? That Mifflinburg Church of the Nazarene doesn't just can't you know, won't just be the, a wonderful, awesome place where people can come and grow and be safe and flourish and have community and shepherded and discipled and that's all that's great. But can this be a mission statement, a mission station, which is a threat to the demonic kingdom in this area? So I just pray you would anoint. I pray right now, Father, that you would pour out your Spirit. Pray that you would give words and wisdom beyond our years. I pray that you would gift pastor with guidance. I'm thrilled. I'm excited. I'm going to tune in. He's going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit over the next few weeks. That's the resource of the kingdom. We're not going to win it by the flesh. We're going to win it through the Spirit. I pray you'd give him wisdom beyond his years. Guide him. How wonderful it is to have that kind of a shepherd. So I pray, Father, you'd raise up warriors that we would be, we'd be more than a religious institution. We'd be a mission statement, a mission station that'd be sending out, sending out individuals, commissioning ministers into the city. So we thank you for this week, Lord. It's been such a privilege to be here. I mean, really, Lord, I just, there are certain places I go to, I'm like, I could live here. Like, I could live here. And I just, I thank you for this kind of a place. I I pray, Father, that they would see how significant it is and, and their calling and commission. I thank you for the teens and the youth group. There's just so, they've got so much going for them. pray you would expand their influence. pray that you would just promote them, pour out your spirit upon them, and use us for this hour. And we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Well, go quietly. We can visit among each other. Um, pray for me tonight, if you don't mind, if you think of me. I got a nap this afternoon, so uh, I think I'll be pretty good. I'm going to listen to a good audiobook. A couple Red Bulls. I'll be good to go. I love you. It's been, it's been honestly, it's been a pl- privilege to be here. I just, what a jewel of a church. Like, seriously, this is a great place. I've been to, I go to towns where I'm like, yeah, I probably wouldn't go there. But I would come here. Seriously, this is a great church. It really is. So, appreciate you. Appreciate you. You're dismissed.